and welcome back to another edition of YCT Matters. This is Carol Platt-Lebow, president of Yankee Institute, and today we are joined by Harwinton's first selectman, Michael Chris. And thank you for joining us today, first selectman, Chris. Well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, of course. And we are here to talk about a story that has received statewide media coverage. Uh, it was broken by our friends at a Connecticut Inside Investigator, and it has to do with this uh, state investigation of a, a state-funded group home in Harwinton. And we understand there have been allegations of sex trafficking, violence, and abuse um, that have gone on in Harwinton. And this has really been something, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been um, more or less a nightmare for our community uh, but more um, to the heart of things is that we are not doing enough as a state for our kids that are in the DCF programs and in these homes. We are not doing enough to protect them. We are not doing enough to evaluate them. We're not doing enough to get them the help they need um, and putting them um, through a program that can help rehabilitate their lives and change these behaviors. Yeah. So let's walk through how all of this sort of came to light. Um, my understanding is that um, that there have been, you know, that that local police and first responders have detailed these these charges of all of this going on. Um, how what how did how did all of this become uncovered? I assume people in the community noticed something going on. Well, yeah, there was there was outrage from the community due to the heavy police and first responder um in in the area you know for them coming into the area and constantly being in the area and not just one or two vehicles we're talking you know two ambulances seven cruisers at any given time trying to deal with the chaos uh and that's the only way it can be described is the chaos in this house and um you know many people uh questioned and asked hey what is going on mike you know what what is the town doing about this and you know, the town was against group home being in a residential area a long time ago when this first home was was proposed. Unfortunately, there was no public um, public participation. The state did not require any and did not hold any. Um, they basically just said, we're taking this house and we're making it a, a group home. And um, the effectiveness of that group home has failed us year after year no matter how many meetings I've had now, I've been first selectman for 12 years going on 14. And in the 12 years that I have been here, uh, we have been dealing and meeting with this group home uh, at least a couple times a year over issues and concerns of safety, of the reality that the girls, we did not feel were getting the proper um, help that they needed. They were not being evaluated properly. They were being pushed into this home. Um, which many of the girls did not want to even go into. Um, and Harwinton's a very rural community. So when you're taking youth that are possibly in sex trafficking or a very bad parental um, atmosphere, you're moving them into, you're mo taking them from a city atmosphere and moving them into a rural atmosphere. There's not much for them to do. And right. the staff really did not have a lot of interaction with these kids other than trying to talk to them. But this was not a locked facility. And this facility is an open, come and go as you please facility. They're allowed to have their cell phones. So how do we as 
DCF, the state as adults that are supposed to be looking out for these kids, protect these kids if we allow them to continue in the behaviors that led them to get into these homes to begin with. Well, sure. I mean, in fact, um, apparently the the Connecticut state uh, police, you know, the resident trooper noted that, you know, there have been a lot of incidents at this place, um, things including assaults, sexual assaults and misconduct involving residents and staff, and that that some of the young young people um, the girls at this place had been going out into Har- Harwinden's community and uh, they were committing, you know, they were th- there had apparently been some stealing and some burglary. But I mean, as awful as that is, and and, and that isn't fair to the, the people in Harwinden. But then in addition, I understand that there had been a 2021 arrest on charges of sex trafficking at the facility and then allegations of a 42-year-old worker at the facility having sex with a 14-year-old resident in 2021. And then in 2022, there was an arrest of an 18-year-old resident on charges that the person sexually assaulted a 15-year-old female resident. And I don't know who's running this place, um, you know, who's supposed to be in charge. But I mean, this is not what our children here deserve, especially our most troubled children. You know, they need um, people who are going to actually see about them. I, and in 2022, apparently there was some kind of violent altercation between a staff member and a 17 year old. And um you know, it just sounds like that's a lot for an unlock. You know, a no lock, an unsecure facility in a rural place like Harwinton. The staff as a whole, I believe, is not was not trained um, to deal with the youth that DCF was placing in these homes, um, and were not prepared. You know, when the melee happened against the resident troopers and the ambulance and the emergency responders, I was there to witness um, total. Uh, chaos that I have never seen before. I mean, young women assaulting police officers, punching them in the heads, um, assaulting EMS staff in the back of the ambulance, um, and uh, mattresses being out the windows. Uh, it was a very dangerous situation for many of the uh, responders, staff. Um, I mean, we had staff members lock themselves in their vehicle because they did not want to go back into the home. When I contacted the director finally, and I asked them, what is the protocol when your staff is refusing to go back into the home? And they said, well, we don't have one. And I said, that's unacceptable. I said, you cannot tell me that you have never thought that something like this would happen. And we have been telling them for years something like this was going to happen. And because over the years have been these minor minor to semi-major incidences that are leading up to this major culmination of a, a, a pure onlay um, on our um, first responders and police officers. Yeah, you know, it's uh, really interesting. And and especially because um, when I first went to read this series on uh, on Connecticut Inside Investigator, you know, I thought of this as a group home, like some kind of big almost orphanage. But apparently there are only six girls in this home at one time. 
And so for all the the goings on that we're hearing about, I mean, um, these sound like very troubled young women. And it's I mean, it's not surprising. These are these are young people who have apparently, um, according to uh, some of the officials involved, I mean, they've experienced trauma, substance abuse by caretakers, domestic violence. Um, Some of them have been victims of domestic minor sex trafficking. They come from multiple placements, um, perhaps in foster care or hospitalizations. And, you know, your heart goes out to them. I mean, this these are situations that no young person should have to have endured. But on the other hand, you know, then maybe this is not the kind of situation that they should be placed in, because it sounds like they are obviously not getting the kind of supervision they need. I 100 percent agree. Um, you know, the, these um, these youths are being taken from situations or being removed from situations that are dangerous to them. And our goal as elected officials, as DCF, as state officials, um, is to protect our youth and and get them the proper services that they need. And I believe that the evaluation process, the oversight process, the vetting process of these contractors, it's not working. You know, it's not working. And we are failing our children. We are failing these kids. And it's heartbreaking because all we want to do is get them to be involved in the community, to be active members, to know what it's like to be in stable, normal uh, relationships with adults with no expectation other than they need a good person. And I think that goes a long way, you know? Um, Absolutely. I think that what we want to try to do as, as a town, and, and I think bringing light to this has helped legislators to finally open their eyes and look at this. And I'm extremely happy that I've been asked to testify in front of the Committee on Children's and Families in regards to this incident and in regards to how this program is working, because even with the state throwing so much money at all these walk-in type clinics that they have now that they're opening in uh, Waterbury and, and bigger cities, listen, these girls are not walking in to get help. These youth are not walking in to get help. They need us to help them. And um, if you don't have locked facilities to provide um, therapeutic remedies to the problem, um, um, detox remedies to the problems, um, any of those things, you're not helping them. You're giving them a place to go, but how long are they really going to stay there? You know, and if you're going to have these facilities and these are considered emergency placement facilities, well, then these facilities need to be locked. Cell phones need to be removed. Staff needs to be properly vetted and, 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 um, and educated in how to deal with youth and what to happen when a situation, how to de-escalate a situation, and basically work with these youth to get them prepared to go to a full-on program, you know? It's it's a little bit shocking to hear that their phones haven't been taken away, especially when you think about the fact that, that you know, some of these young women have been the victims of sex traffickers, um, you know, when you think that they have come from situations where drugs have probably been involved, um, you know, I, I don't understand the thinking. That, that's what our thoughts were. And those are our conversations that we've been having with them over the years to say, listen, you could stop a lot of this if you locked the facility and took their phones. But you've got 
we've got pimps showing up in a residential neighborhood to pick these girls up and take them right back to the atmosphere that they were removed from. I, they're just there are no words for that. I mean, no. who's looking out for these girls. That's right. And you've got sex offenders showing up to proposition these girls. They're communicating through Facebook and all this other stuff. And if I may say so, um, you know, it's not fair to the residents of Harwinton. These people are taxpayers. These people are doing everything right. Or as Bill Clinton once put it, you know, they're playing by the rules and they have a right to have an environment for their children where pimps and drug dealers and everything else are not showing up on their streets. Exactly. And that's one of the examples I used in one of our giant meetings with them is saying, what if one of those girls arranged to be picked up by a pimp or a sex offender or something like that? Okay. And God forbid one of our regular residents kid that has nothing to do with the program just happened to be in the same area that she was supposed to meet this guy. And now this guy thinks it's this girl and ends up grabbing this poor girl or boy off the street. And we have a bigger problem on our hands, you know, between all the silver alerts that we have because they're allowed to leave the facility and they leave and they don't come back. And then the authorities have to get involved and do a silver alert. And everyone thinks in our community that all these people are going missing, but they're not. They're runaways. And they'll be in the back of the cruiser going back to the home. And they say, well, in 10 minutes, I'm going to be leaving again anyway. And sure enough, in 10 minutes, they leave again. You know, and they take off again and we have to issue another silver alert and we have to go after them again. All right. You know, know, the people of Harwinton deserve better. And so do these young women. They absolutely do. And, And when we're tied up at one household, when the poor gentleman on the other side of town is having a cardiac arrest and we can't respond, that's a problem. You know, that's a real problem, a real medical emergency, because we're too busy trying to put out melees at this one home. So what so what is the state proposing? Um, they're going to have hearings about this or I mean, you they know, are, are gonna they going to try hearings. and make this right? Because they certainly sure as heck should. Well, I certainly hope so. You know, I'm holding out hope that this has opened the eyes and basically opened Pandora's box here to really, really truthfully take a hard look from the legislative side of things on a revamp of not only DCF and its services and its policies and procedures, but also the subcontractors of these state agencies and revamp and we set the protocols for them, you know, because the legislators have to get involved. This is a serious growing situation that if they do not get their arms around is, is doing nothing but harming the children even more. Well, that's the whole, that's disgusting. That's exactly right. They are not doing these girls any favors at all. Um, And, you know, it is a a situation where um, legislators really do have to get personally involved. Um, And another example, if I may just throw it out, of an administrative state, a bureaucracy that really does need direction and oversight from the elected officials, the people who are really supposed to be in charge. And it's a symptom of a larger problem we see in states, in the federal bureaucracy as well. Um, You know, if you read, for example, the uh, federal constitution, you will not find anything about the administrative state or the bureaucracy. This is a whole, it has become a whole fourth branch of government 
that was never foreseen. It combines functions of the legislative branch, the executive branch, and the judicial branch. And it has accrued such vast power that nobody is reigning in and legislators have to get hold of this and they have to represent the people who've put them in office by by really, you know, reining some of this in. Absolutely. And, you know, it goes even further. And you brought up a very good point the judicial branch. We need harder laws for these youth. You cannot continue to give them a bench warrant, have them show up in front of a judge and send them right back into the environment where they were misbehaving to begin with. No. You know, what, what change are we making in their lives? We're saying it's okay to screw up. We're just going to smack your hand and we're going to give you a little kiss and we're going to send you back out into the world. Thanks for showing up and that's it. Juvenile law needs to be overhauled as a whole. That's the only way people learn. We learn by examples. You know, we learn by discipline. We learn by rules and regulations and how to follow them. And if they don't exist for our youth, how do we expect them to grow up into responsible adults? Well, that's it. And and you don't, you know, you don't do any favors uh, for them in, in the long term. And uh, there has to be some way um, that we can find uh, between telling them that laws don't matter and between, um, you know, a, a, a punitive system that just converts them into hardened criminals. There's got to be a better way than than taking either of those two paths. The people of Connecticut and their elected representatives are intelligent and we need to find that. That's right. That's right. Um, well, uh, First Selectman Michael Chris, we are grateful to you for coming on to talk a little bit about this uh, situation in Harwinton. And uh, we thank you for your time. And we would recommend anyone who is interested in learning a little bit more about this whole situation. It has been covered um, really exhaustively and in a very thorough and interesting way by Mark Fitch on CT, well, Connecticut Inside Investigator, and you can find that coverage at insideinvestigator.org. So thank you so much. Well, it's been a pleasure. And, you know, I'm here to lead the way and be the voice of the small towns and communities and my people in my community to help the state legislators find a resolution to this. And I want to thank you for giving more exposure to this problem because it is a huge problem. Well, it is. And I know together we can find a way forward um, for these young women in jeopardy, but also for the good people in these towns who deserve to be able to live in in safety and security. So we thank you. We thank you for your time. And uh, we thank all of you for joining us. Uh, This is Carol Platt-Lebow, and we hope you will join us again for the next edition of YCT Matters. I'll show you around this place I call home.